You're listening to DraftKings Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Greetings, Illumination. It's your producer, Anthony Mays, welcoming you to this episode of Basketball Illuminati. It's the dog days of summer. Not too much is happening in the association, so we decided here that it was time to turn back the clock and bring on our guest, the legendary heckler, Robin Ficker. If that name sounds familiar, you might remember it from our January 25th episode, Stan Spittin', when Shannon Sharp got into it with the Memphis Grizzlies in Los Angeles. We talked about the greatest heckler of all time, Robin Ficker, although he calls himself a therapist, he's giving these guys therapy, as you'll soon hear. He's got a lot of stories. This 80-year-old Maryland resident loves sports, loves the game, and most importantly, loves interacting with athletes. So enjoy this walk down memory lane with Robin Ficker. My assignment, uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money. And you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. 
I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball of the Hey, Robin. Great to see you. Thanks for taking the time for us. It's great to connect. My pleasure entirely. <laughs> yeah. That's a heckler's voice if I've ever heard yeah. one right there. Well, I had command voice because I attended the U.S. Military Academy and uh, we had to be able to uh, expound on the topics of the day and for other troops to hear us. That's amazing. <laughs> Do you ever lose your voice, Robin? No, I don't. But uh, it helps if I have maybe uh, a carton of orange juice with me so I can take a little swig now and then. So when you were going to games back in the 80s and 90s, you were walking in the arena with some orange juice on you just to make sure? Well, a lot of times I did, but I, I always had to have a drink to uh, wet my whistle because I was going to be going full bore the entire game, <laughs> including timeouts, including free throws. So, Robin, you're coming to us in 2023. You're a few years removed from going to an NBA game, but still you are relevant as ever because players get into it with fans and heckling fans, but no one has done it like you did in the 80s and 90s. And I want to go all the way back. When did you start with the idea to A, go to NBA games and B, be a part of the action by heckling the opposing team? Well, you know, I don't really call it heckling. I just call it giving them therapy. Uh, these guys are highly paid. They're young. They're are only on the court for a short time out of the week. And they're right there. I went to a, a game. I played on the Maryland House of Delegates basketball team. I was a legislator. <laughs> and one of the guys there on the team, he would go to some of the bullets games and he uh, he suggested that I go so I went to I went to a few games I sat in like the third row behind the bench I enjoyed it and then the guys in front of me said hey why don't you move up because I'm between you and the players and I said fine I'll move up I got seats in the front row right behind the opposing bench and I kept them for 12 years didn't miss a game for 12 years. And I, I got to know all the players in the league and I was able to give them therapy. Who was the first person you administered therapy to? Well, Chucky Barkley. <laughs> Chucky. That's a conspiracy. He was my favorite because he'd always give me the tete-a-tete. He'd always give it back to me. He used to put notes on my chair before the game saying, Robin, please don't give me a hard time tonight. And I would say to him, okay, Chucky, I heard that you were thinking about running for governor of Alabama. If that's true, I've got to know your view on healthcare, education, and NAFTA. <laughs> and he'd turn around and say, well, I do have a view on the death penalty. They should use it on you. <laughs> Charles is one of the best talkers of all time. Do you think he looked at you and saw himself a little bit? Just that he has kind of a sparring partner? I do. I used to bring him shirts saying I'm having a Maalox moment. I know that he was the instigator for the 76ers. 
bringing this huge circular banner. It was about uh, 12 feet in diameter. It had a ring around it, and they would hold it up behind the 76ers bench to try to shield themselves from me, but the league made them take it down. So then they would hold their timeouts out at half court or out near the free throw line so that I couldn't interfere with what they were saying. And it was lots of fun because I'd draw up plays. I'd talk to them. I would read about them. I was well-read. I would always read up on them. I wouldn't swear. I wasn't drinking alcohol. And so I knew what I was saying. I was in court every day also. So I wouldn't say anything to them that couldn't be said in court. But I knew if they were behind in child support, I knew who they were dating. I knew... uh, what was going on, and I'd bring it up. The most distracting thing you could say to a player really was his name. And if you'd say the name and then make a comment, they would have to listen. I know they're trained to focus, but I think what the league should have done at that time, they should have had David Robinson, who was a real stoic. They should have had him give classes to the NBA players on how to handle fans that were talking to them because I could say anything to David Robinson. He was just cool. He'd been through plebe year at the Naval Academy. He always kept it cool. So I think they should have had some role playing. And then these guys wouldn't have lost their tempers and wouldn't have been disconcerted. So that's what I was going to ask. Was that your white whale, David Robinson? Was there anyone else who would not crack no matter what you said? No, he was about the only one. All the others uh, had to pay attention because I'd read up on them and I'd I'd mention things that were in their lives. I'd talk to Shaq. He would have these sayings. He was cutting records and I listened to his records and I would change the (laughs) words like he would say he's got skills. And I would say, Shaq, you've got bills. And I'd start naming his bills that he had. and, And he was quoted, as a matter of fact, on ESPN, I believe, as saying that. They asked him what what did he remembered most about his first year in the NBA. He said he remembered the guy behind the uh, bench at the Wizards game or the Bullets games who was on him the whole first half, even though he scored 20 points in the first half. In your you know 20 years or 12 years at these games, who came the closest to assaulting you or getting in a fight with you? <laughs> or were there any times where you just were like, this guy's going to murder me right now? Well, yeah, but I wasn't afraid because I was king of the pits in the hand-to-hand combat at West Point. (laughs) (laughs) I could have handled any of them, and they knew it. You know, I'd worked out with Muhammad Ali, and I wasn't afraid of any of these guys. I knew that they had to sit there and take it. Now, Frank Layden, the coach of Utah, I remember one time I had read that he had been rated the worst-dressed coach in the NBA by USA Today. (laughs) And he'd also been feuding with Adrian Dantley, who was on his team, who was a friend of mine who was from Maryland. So I would bring up the fact, you know, I would criticize how he was dressed, his tie, etc., and bring up Adrian Dantley. And after the game, which Utah won, by the way, he completely lost it, tried to come through tried to come through the seats there to get me. The mailman was holding him back (laughs) and he was spitting. He was yelling. 
I don't know what happened to the guy. He almost had a heart attack. He was spitting at you? He was yelling. He wasn't really spitting to spit. He was yelling so loud the spittle was coming out of his <laughs> mouth. Somehow he was focusing on me instead of rejoicing with his victory. It's weird because Frank Layden is kind of known as the funny guy. He was the funny coach. He's in all those videos, those NBA blooper videos, making jokes to the refs, to the players and stuff. So the idea that... You were the one that broke him and turned him into a raging lunatic after a win, no less. That's quite the accomplishment. Oh, yeah. I know that the Detroit Pistons, which had a very good team at that time, Lambeer and all the good players, they used to hold sessions before the game to talk about me and say <laughs> how they should handle me. That's when you know. Try to ignore me. Chucky Daly would hold little sessions but a number of the teams would move their timeouts away. Now, I wasn't saying anything improper. I was just being loud and saying things that would distract them. So they would move away. The coaches have a very short half-life in the NBA. They've got to win. They've got to produce. They don't have too long to do it. So when you're distracting the coach from what he's trying to tell the players by presenting another play or another idea, then they get upset. So uh, a few years ago, it must have been almost probably 10 years ago, there was a very famous game where LeBron James was playing against Toronto and he was kind of going through the motions and the girlfriend of one of the players for Toronto started talking trash and LeBron goes nuts and has this huge second half. They win the game and at one point he turns around and looks at her and says, you did this. Has that ever happened to you, Robin, where your trash talk inadvertently spurred on his great performance for the opposing player? Yeah, it did. It, it happened in 2014. I came back for one game because I hadn't been to a game since, I guess, 98. Indiana was playing here, the Pacers. And I forget the name of the guy. It was a huge guy. Roy Hibbert. Yes. Georgetown. Yes. Also a D.C. native. Yes, yes. And actually, it was on Mother's Day. And I was asking him, I was naming some of the gifts that he could have gotten from his mother, including a little rubber ducky for when he takes his bath and so on. And he <laughs> he lost it. And then after the game, which I think Indiana won, he he cited me as a reason that he had played so well. He had mother effed me in a press conference. Don't worry, Robin, you're not the only one that Roy Hibber got upset. At. Yeah. <laughs> what about Michael? Michael Jordan? Do you call him Mikey like you call Charles Barkley Chucky? Well, Michael was cool, calm, and collected, except when I had the Jordan's Rules, okay? I had the Jordan's Rules. Sam Smith wrote it, and I would bring the book. Michael had said he hadn't read the book. <laughs> so I would bring the book, and I would read the book, read passages where he had criticized some of his fellow players. And then once in a while, I would make something up. I would pretend that I was reading, but I would make it up, and he would turn around and shake his head. <laughs> no, no, that's not right. <laughs> oh, my. So he did read the book. <laughs> this is brilliant. Oh, no, he read the book. And as a matter of fact, the, the guy who wrote the book called me and thanked me for reading it because it helped him sell some copies. But Michael, oftentimes I, I would be criticizing him and then he would make a basket and he would turn to me and rub the top of his head 
like that. Because you're hackling because he was bald or something? Well, I would say something to him about not being able to hit a basket or how the bullets were going to win the NBA championship. And he'd turn around when he'd make a basket just to show me and then rub the top of his head like that's how easy it was for him to do it. He was different than Chucky Barkley because after the games, he would not go out to a bar like Marley's in Phoenix or some other place where where the average people were. You know, Chucky would go to these places and there'd be women in there rubbing themselves up against him. And ah. he was just having fun. But Jordan would always go to someplace private where you'd have to have a security person there go up to a private dining room. He wouldn't mix with the average people. That's how the two of them were different. Okay, so I'm reading here that Charles Barkley might have hired you to heckle Michael in the 93 finals. Can you confirm, deny, and give us the background on that? Well, he paid for my game tickets, okay, and, and my flight out there. That's what happened. And I brought the book. There was a book written. I can't remember the name of the book. It was about Michael's gambling. And I brought the book out with me. Michael and me, our gambling addiction, my cry for help. Yes. And I was reading that book to him during the NBA finals. And I also brought some oversized playing cards, a lot of hundred dollar <laughs> bills and some dice. Wow. A prop comic. <laughs> yeah, props. I was dealing these cards to him during the NBA finals. And I would ask him, Mike, how much do you want to bet? And he'd hold up three fingers. <laughs> we had it going. It was a lot of fun. Is that his third title going for three titles? Or I guess that's probably his way of... He was probably putting three stacks on it, Tom. He's engaging Robin. He's like, let's do it. Let's put something on it. Oh, my God. A lot of times the radio stations from Chicago would call me up and I would give them my view about why the, uh, the bullets were going to beat the bulls. And of course, not many people in, in Chicago actually believed that that would happen. So they wanted to get an opposing viewpoint. So did the Washington Bullets organization ever say, hey, Robin, you're killing us over here? Or were they kind of supportive of like, yeah, you're, you're performing a service? No, Wes Unseld, he said it on TV. He'd like to have 19,000 other fans just like me. And he and I got along really well. It all worked out, I think, until David Stern got involved at the end, because what happened was that when the opposing teams came in, they'd always have a TV station traveling with them. And those TV stations inevitably would want to put a live mic on me. And I didn't mind. This was before they were putting live mics on the coaches. Right. I didn't mind them doing that because I knew that I would never say anything improper. I would never swear or whatever. So I was getting a lot of attention that way. And the NBA, they like to control the attention that comes to the games. Like I was also in the rock and jock game on MTV. During that game, they had a penalty box and I was in the penalty box. And whoever committed an egregious foul would have to come in the penalty box with me and I'd be there talking to him. <laughs> and then the NBA contacted MTV and said they weren't going to have a rock and jock game anymore if I was part of the game. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> also, I made a couple of ads with ESPN2. I'd sit behind the bench when Chicago came in and my line was, I'd get up and say, you think you've got a good team. You should see the team they have at ESPN, too. 
And they ran that ad and they ran some double page ads in, in Sports Illustrated, too. And then the NBA cracked down on that and said that they couldn't run those ads anymore. Stern liked to control the product that came out from the telecast, the product that came out from the games. Tom, you, you've interacted with Commissioner Stern more than I have. I would think this would be something that he actually got a kick out of rather than something to kind of squash. I'm surprised at the league office. Well, he said it. It's control, right? It's power. It's control. He could not control Robin Ficker. He couldn't. And I knew that some of the games they had one of the league staff, like they had the VP of security come and sit down. They had some people from other teams observe me and they ended up passing a rule, the Ficker rule. They put on the back of every season ticket. And I believe it's still on there, which said that if a fan interferes with communication between the coach and the players, that fan shall be given a warning. And then if that fan persists or does it again, he shall be ejected. And if he's sitting in someone else's seats, that person can lose their season tickets. So they used the gag rule. They made up this gag rule. I believe it's still printed on the back of every season ticket. Mm -hmm. They got a lot of fine print on the back of those tickets. Now, let me ask you a question. Given where the game has gone in the last couple of decades, is there any part of you that sits back and says, man, I would have had such great trash talk about this guy or that guy if I was still going to games? Oh, sure. Because I had I had an impact on all the games. I had an impact on the players. I was right there. Like when Dennis Rodman said in some magazine that he was arachnophobic, he was afraid of spiders. So I brought all these spiders. I had one spider was like four foot across, holding it up behind the bench and all the players were yucking it up. I brought Dennis some magazines, magazine articles about himself. And he would read them on the bench <laughs> when Chucky Barkley said that he didn't like vegetables. I thought, hey, that's not a good message to send to the kids. So I'd bring a big bag of vegetables and say, Charles, you're making a broccoli of the game. Or uh, would you like to take a leak? And I held up a big leak. That's good. That's good. We, we had a lot of different a lot of different veggies there. You're going to get beat oh wow <laughs> and i can influence i think any of the players except maybe david robinson i think i could impact any of them get into their head with Shaq, i would love to have done a number on him more because he is the type of person that reacts that just can't sit there he always speaks up i love the guy he's he really does really well on the ads because he seems like such a happy person in all these ads he does, but he would have react. I think I could have affected any of these guys by giving him therapy during the game. Let me ask you this. I know you said you never use profanity or vulgarities or any kind of obscene gestures, or whatever. Never. But have you ever heckled someone and then afterwards felt bad, like you might have crossed the line or maybe that was just a little too mean spirited? No, no, I didn't. And as a matter of fact, <laughs> I know Vernon Maxwell had gotten into a fight. He'd punched a fan or someone. So I'd win a catcher's mask to the games when, when, <laughs> when he came. There. Smart move. <laughs> yeah. I never crossed the line because, you know, I was in court every day at the time. I wouldn't say something that would get the judge mad. I would just say something that was in the papers. Like one of the players was like $75,000 behind in child support. I bring that up. 
and tell the women sitting around me to lock their kids up. You don't think that crosses a line, Robin? <laughs> that didn't cross a line. <laughs> there was a guy uh, played for Utah, Bobby. I can't think of his last name right now. He said that he was going to heckle me in my coffin and that he was going to come to court and heckle me in court. But it wasn't heckling. It was just giving them therapy, saying something that could always be printed in the paper, saying something mild and never used any racial or sexual comments. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm reading a story from 1993. It seems that you might have been ejected from game two of the NBA finals. Is that accurate? I was because I was there and the league had their VP of security at the game sitting just off to the side. I was in the front rows and I recognized him. And I started mentioning his name in a loud voice, telling all the fans around me who he was, what his position was, and the fact he was there. And so then he says, you're out of here. And they came and ejected me. And then I had had this big, oversized Chucky Barkley poster, which was about 10 feet high. After the game, I asked the security guy at the door after I'd been out. I want to come back in and get my posters because I left the posters there. So I went in and then when I went back in there, then they arrested me because they said I had been ejected. I said, the game's over. I'm just coming back to get my posters. So they charged me with trespassing, I believe, something like that. So I came back to court. OK. And I said, the NBA rule says that when you say something that interferes with communication between the coach and players, they have to give you a warning. And then they brought in as a witness one of the referees in that game. And I can't remember his name, but he was a senior referee. And the guy testified. He lied on the stand. Whoa. He said, I had given him a warning. He had never given me a warning. So they said, we'll give you the conviction, but we'll strike the conviction. And then I ended up suing them for false arrest. And they made me post a bond to come back and prove the case. And I didn't want to do that. So I said, I'll let it go. So this is game two of the 93 finals, right? Yep. Okay. So these are the refs. It was Jake O'Donnell, Jack Madden, and Joey Crawford. It wasn't Joey Crawford. Yeah, Joey would have been the young one. I think Jake O'Donnell would have been the senior ref. It must have been Jake O'Donnell. It was a referee from that game. You know, Robin, it's too bad that they didn't have any video evidence to support their case of. Yeah, they didn't. This guy giving you a warning. What a shame. Well, it's not a very televised event. It's the 93 NBA finals. There couldn't be any video proof. (laughs) Well, it was interesting because when I went out there, I saw these ticket guys with walkie talkies. And I said, what in the world do you have that walkie talkie for? 
And the guy said, it's my phone. That was the first time I'd ever seen a cell phone. <laughs> cell phones are not like the Apple phone today. It was like a big walkie talkie that weighed a few pounds. <laughs> and I thought, what a wonderful idea, because I would had my parents answering my phone back home. And here you can answer your own phone. That's the first time I saw a cell phone. <laughs> was to keep an eye on you. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, Robin, what about Larry Bird? Well, I called him Larry Nerd. <laughs> he could not take it. And Kevin McSnail and the chief. <laughs> the chief is just the chief. Yeah. I mean, we just need to <laughs> rattle off players here and just hear what the nicknames were. Okay. Well, Larry Bird can't take it. He can't take it. And as a matter of fact, he never could. He even, I think, wrote about me in his book and said that if there were an open season on fans, the one fan he'd like to bag was the guy behind the bench, Robin Ficker in Washington. <laughs> and then I saw him afterwards in 2014 at the Hibbert game down in D.C. Oh, he was at the game and he walked right by me and I called him Larry Nerd. And he said, where'd you get that big hickey on your neck? And there was no hickey on my neck. You know, that was his response to try to go after me. He could not take it. He wouldn't smile. He was just unhappy whenever you were talking to him. See, he doesn't realize that nothing propinks like propinquity. They have these fan seats right around the players. They're earning good money for these seats. If they don't want to hear what the fans are saying, then they should do like hockey does. They should put up a great big sheet of uh, plastic between the players and the fans. But when they're putting seats there, they can't expect all the fans to shut up and not talk about the game when the fans have worked hard all week they want to come out get a vicarious thrill they want to talk to the players there's nothing wrong with that unless they're saying something slanderous and of course i wasn't but larry didn't understand that he didn't understand that they were selling the seats people were there and they should be able to talk to him he's well known he's earning a lot of money so he i think was short-sighted if i asked you to name me your starting five of guys that dished it just as well as you did. Like, I know Chuck Barkley has a spot on that five. So who are the other four guys, according to Robin Ficker? Well, Chucky Barkley was wonderful. Carl Malone, the mailman, he was really good. He said that he had this trucking firm, okay? So I was talking about getting a key and keying some of his trucks. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, he became temporarily upset at that, but he was always good-natured and very friendly. I liked him a lot. Some of the other guys, Isaiah Thomas, during the game once threw a shoe at me. (laughs) Who throws a shoe? Honestly. I was on a TV show with him later on, but he was always good-natured and friendly. And Lambeer, Lambeer was very friendly. Minute Bowl was a classic. He ended up playing. He was, of course, with the Bullets, but then he went to Golden State. Mm-hmm. And he called me Robin. You know, I'd, I would get on him the whole game. And then there was one game where Chris Mullen, who was also very friendly, Chris Mullen had scored in double figures for 499 straight games. So I brought a big sign that had 500 on it with a red circle and a slash. I was determined not to let him score in double figures for the 500th game in a row. And I was on him and Minute the whole game. And guess what? He did not score in double figures. And then after the game, 
Mullen came over and signed my poster with the 500 and said, good call, Chris. (laughs) He was very friendly. And Manute Ball was just a funny guy. He was always easy to tease, but he would tease right back. Wait, Mullen, I'm looking at it. All right, so this is February 5th, 1993. Yeah, he scored four points. Yep. (laughs) I locked him up. Four points. (laughs) He did not score in double figures in his 500th game in a row. Wow. At Washington. Yep. Who was the player that you had to do the most homework on? Because I got to imagine some of these guys, it's really easy. A lot of that information is readily available. But some of these guys, did you have to do some digging in order to get enough dirt? Yeah. How did you do your own research? I was always well read. I'd look on the internet. I would read the sports magazine. Scotty Pippen, I would do a lot of research on him when he was coming in and and I would bring up various things in his life. Yeah, he was always sort of second fiddle, but he was a great player, of course. But I would bring up things and he would react. I'm being told right now, my producer is telling me that Chris Mullen left that game at halftime after aggravating the torn collateral ligament in his right thumb. So you were responsible for tearing his thumb. Is that accurate? I don't remember him tearing his thumb in that game. I don't remember that. You think there's a cover up? You think that he left? I don't know anything about his thumb in that game. I don't remember that. When he signed your poster, did he use his his shooting hand? Yeah. I know he came and signed that poster when the game was over. If he left the game with a torn thumb, it couldn't have been that serious because he was there at the end and he was in his uniform. I remember that. There you go. There you go. The thumb seemed fine holding a pen. (laughs) Robin, you have garnered the respect and the affection of the biggest talkers, including Charles Barkley, Chucky Barkley. And you mentioned it earlier, Muhammad Ali. So what is that? You were friends with Muhammad Ali? Well, I used to do his road work with him. I read he was in town for a fight. He was in Washington. And I read how he was doing road work in Greenbelt Park. And of course, I was a good runner at the time. I won the National Masters Pentathlon Championship. I was a good runner. I would run every day. And plus, I would run the stairs in Cole Fieldhouse every day. So I read about Muhammad Ali running in Greenbelt Park. So I went out and met him and asked him, hey, can I come and run with you? So I ran with him. We got along really well. He invited me up to his training camp. And I went up to his training camp a number of times for like a week at a time. He was probably the most generous person I've ever met. When I went up there the first time and all subsequent times, he was living in this cabin himself. His wife wasn't in the cabin, Veronica, she wasn't in the cabin, but he would stay in there. He had an oversized TV, oversized bed, oversized chairs. He moved out of there and let me stay in there. And we would get up and run in the morning. We would chop wood. We'd eat together. I would not box because my peripheral vision was so poor. I mean, the number one rule in boxing is don't get hit in the head. And he was very good. He had great peripheral vision. I could not see the punches from the side. So I didn't do any any boxing. But we became good friends. I would run with him and I could keep him going. He would always run a little bit extra when he was with me. Now, I'd worked out with a lot of pro football players before that. They're very big. They're very strong, but they don't have anywhere near the endurance that he had. He could go five miles, no problem. So I would go up there and I would be there, get up early in the morning when he would get up like four, five in the morning, we would get up and go and run. 
He was so generous. People would come up and visit him who he had never met before at that early hour and ask him for money and he would give it to them. It was amazing. He was just friendly to everybody. And then also the camp at Deer Lake was up on top of a very steep hill. It had to be at least 30 degrees, almost 45 degree angle. And he could not run up that hill. I could run up that hill 10 times in a row. Of course, we were in combat boots. And then he would be in the car with his handlers in the car behind me, and they would have their pistols out and be shooting in the air while I would run up the hill. And it was it was loads of fun. Did you guys ever compare notes on Trash Talk? He was, of course, a world-class trash talker himself. Uh, he was wonderful. And one thing we did compare notes on was card playing, okay? He was a very good card player, and he could palm cards. I would be sitting there looking two feet from him, watching the cards with my eyes. He could palm the card, change the cards. I could not see him do it, but he did it. The card would change. That's made me realize I'd never want to play cards <laughs> with anybody for money. But he was so good at that. And of course, he would tell stories. You know, he was a great poet. Of course, he was probably the best poetic athlete ever with some of the poems he would come up with. But he was very, very friendly and also in great shape. When you're looking back on your career, or I guess your involvement in sports, Charles Barkley is a friend of yours and Muhammad Ali is a friend of yours. That must be really cool to feel like you had a hand in a lot of these sports greats, like all-timers. I did. And, and right now, my son-in-law is head of recruiting for the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, I get to meet some of the players through him. My daughter had been a professional triathlete for like 16 years. And of course, there becomes a time when the women professional, she was second in the World Ironman in Kona one year. There comes a time when these ladies have to decide if they want to have kids. She did. And she met this guy who was then a scout for the Seahawks. And they ended up getting married. She wanted to have kids. And the first three years they were married, they had two children and two Super Bowls. <laughs> and of course, you know, I got to meet the coach. I got to meet many of the players at their Super Bowl parties and so on. I really appreciate the athletes. And, and even now, as a matter of fact, this past week, I went to the Big Ten wrestling match. I like wrestling because you're right down near the action. You get some blood on you. You're close. Mm. You can get the opposing coach to suggest that he, maybe he should wrestle you. <laughs> That's where the action is. And I was there for Maryland's first Big Ten victory in like 60 matches. It's really a mano a mano sport that's something to behold. And when I go to the Olympics, I've been to a number of the Olympics. I always make it a point to go to wrestling, to go to boxing, to go to some of these sports where the fans are very nationalistic, just like the World Cup soccer. They're the same way at weightlifting. The fans are that way at boxing, wrestling. They really want their hometown guys to win. I think I read somewhere that you went to Barcelona for the dream team. Yeah, I was there for the dream team and I was at the games 
And I, of course, was saying things to the guys during the Dream Team games. And they they all were very friendly. Wait a minute. You trash talk Team USA? This is unpatriotic. Well, they didn't really have a hard time in those games. (laughs) You weren't there doing your research on Angola and the other teams in the world? Tony Kukoc. No, no. I was just talking to the Dream Team and saying various (laughs) things to them. I wasn't giving them much therapy to distract them. I was just trying to be friendly, but they were all there. And of course we had a little uh, reunion. Did you hang with Patrick Ewing in Barcelona? And I think he's a DC guy too, right? Yeah, no, he's a DC guy. And of course I played high school basketball against his coach, John Thompson senior. He is Forrest Gump. This guy, Robin, (laughs) you are Forrest Gump. John Thompson senior was the biggest high school basketball player I'd ever seen. He was like 6'11 in high school. And there was another guy on the team, Tom Hoover, 6'9, who was much wider. And I played against that team. They won like 56 straight games. And I remember John Thompson blocking one of my shots with his armpit. (laughs) (laughs) He was that big. And of course, I would talk to Patrick Ewing about that. I went up, one of the players, I can't remember who it was now, paid my way up to New York and I sat right behind the New York bench and was talking to Patrick Ewing up there. And of course, Pat Riley is coach. I would get on Riley. What was your line with Riley? Well, you know, I talk about his hair. They would have his hair was slicked back. (laughs) Some of the trades that he made or didn't make. He was easy to distract to, but he never got angry. He never really lost it. He was focused, but he also would listen to what you had to say. He's a very personable guy. He never said anything mean. So, Robin, I remember reading about you when I was in high school. I remember when the Bullets slash Wizards moved from Maryland to their arena downtown. D.C., yeah. And the story was that they wouldn't let you get the same seats in the new building, and that's why you ended your season ticket run with them. Is that correct? And is there any more detail? Oh, that's absolutely correct. They had announced, you know, because everyone was concerned about where their seats would be. Mm -hmm. They had announced that everyone would get comparable seats. Okay, at that time, I had seniority over everyone in my whole section because I'd been there 12 years, same seats. They did not give me comparable seats. They wanted to give me seats behind the basket. And I wanted to interact with the players. I knew the players. They would not give them to me. And I think that David Stern had an input into that. There are no mistakes, no coincidences. And so then I just said, well, there's other things I can do. I can go to my son's wrestling. I can go to my daughter's triathlon. So you think the call came from above? Oh, absolutely. No question. Was it just unavailable or was it a different price point for the seats that you had? It was unavailable unavailable. They would not sell me those seats. There had to be a director from the league because this was after the league came out with the Ficker rule. Robin, this has been an absolute pleasure. Probably one of the best interviews we've ever had on this program. So thank you for joining us. And if there's ever another heckling story in the NBA, we'd love to get your reaction to it and give advice to some of the amateurs out there. The main thing is, is don't drink alcohol so that you know what you're saying. In life in general? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, especially at the games, because some of those fans get there, they've been working all week. They want to have some alcohol at the games. 
don't do that because that may affect what you're saying. And don't swear. Don't make any racial or sexual comments. Read up on these guys. We've got the Internet now. You can Google and find out all kinds of interesting facts about them. (laughs) You can find out their vulnerabilities. You know who's coming in. Do a little homework on them and bring up some things that they won't expect. Use their name as often as you can and try to get close get down by the first row and don't be afraid to use the power of your voice either. Bring props. Bring props. Yeah, there you go. Garden jokes, plants, vegetables, fruits. Yes. All those seem to be very effective for you. Yeah. Any prop. Now there was a guy, a great big guy. I can't remember his name. He used to play for Minnesota who was sleeping. He had a sleeping disorder, whatever. So I would bring <laughs> pillows to the game <laughs> and ask him if he wanted to use one of the pillows and I'd pretend to be sleeping there. If you read up on it, you get some ideas. These are like the commandments, everyone. Is it Stanley Roberts? Was it Stanley Roberts who had the sleeping disorder? I think so. You're the sixth man of the Washington Bullets. You believe that David Stern banned you or at least made sure that you weren't going to get your seats back in the new arena. You also were part of a court case in which a referee lied on the stand, allegedly. Jake O'Donnell. Definitely lied. Yep. (laughs) At the behest of the NBA. I sued him for false arrest, too, but I had to post a bond to pursue the case, so I decided to let it go. Wow. And as a matter of fact, I even called it on TV back then. I called it the American Arrest Arena. (laughs) (laughs) Robin, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. See you on down the road. Thank you. Jimmy Jackson, I would call him Emmy Action because he couldn't hit the J. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I did this all day, man. They got to laugh at that, right, man? Like, they got to laugh at that.